Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. J6 defendants requesting trial delays to review newly released footage. What's the precedent for this? Are there concerns over due process and is withheld evidence a basis for delaying a trial? We hear legal analysis. A House committee wants the Federal Trade Commission to ease up on Twitter. It says the agency has behaved aggressively towards the social media company. New developments in a years-long lawsuit aiming to ban the use of fluoride in public water supplies. A study on fluoride's potential harm is now scheduled to be released soon. That's after a government agency allegedly tried to block the release. Tucker Carlson's commentary on the new Capitol breach footage has sparked a feud. The top Senate Democrat calls Carlson's broadcast disdainful, while the TV host says the leader is advocating censorship. We bring you the story. A growing number of January 6 defendants are asking judges to delay their trials. That's in light of the newly released video footage. At least three defendants have recently filed motions to delay their trials, and one defendant has filed such a request but had it denied. House Republicans recently released some 41,000 hours of security footage from the January 6 Capitol breach to Fox News. The GOP says they were granting access to any defendants who want to view the video. The defendants say they need the trials delayed in order to review the footage. Federal judges haven't ruled on whether to delay the trials. Government prosecutors oppose the requests. Next, we hear some legal analysis on how the new J6 footage could affect ongoing trials. A former deputy DA and legal scholar gives insight into factors involved. Joining us now is constitutional attorney Jenna Ellis. Jenna also served as a senior advisor and counsel to former President Donald Trump. It's great to have you with us today, Jenna. Thanks, Kevin. Always great to join. Some January 6 defendants are requesting trial delays to have time to review the 41,000 hours of newly released footage. Is there a legal precedent for trial delays under these circumstances? And what would the defense be looking for in the footage to support their case? Yeah, well, I think that the uh, new release of all of this footage raises some really important and critical due process questions. And so let's not forget that in the context of America's founding and the U.S. Constitution, our Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, contains more protections for Americans in the context of making sure to guarantee liberty and the context of a criminal prosecution than any other right that our founders deemed it so necessary to protect. This is because our founders under understood that the government and the state has the power to foreclose an individual's liberty and wanted to make sure that defendants in the context of criminal prosecutions were afforded all of the due process rights that they're entitled to to make it fair. So what's happening here with the January 6 videos is very important. And my concern is whether or not the attorneys on behalf of each of these uh, defendants were allowed access to all of the potential exculpatory material. That is required under the United States case Brady versus Maryland going back to 1963. That case requires that if the government is in possession of any potentially exculpatory evidence that even may tend to exonerate an individual, it's required that the government turn that over to the defense. You talk about due process and the importance of fair trials here. Can you explain the pre-trial discovery process and how which footage was available at that time would affect the case? 
Yeah, so uh, for, for a pretrial context in the discovery phase, what uh, typically happens and what is supposed to happen by law uh, in that phase is that the government has to turn over literally everything that they have to the defense so that the defense can prepare their case and also uh, file pretrial motions. Uh, that's where you have some exclusions. You have all of this debate about whether uh, the government can even fulfill their uh, burden of proof, uh, some of those things. And so here, if there was anything that was withheld from the defense that the government possessed at the time, then that could be grounds for overturning convictions, delaying trials, or even vacating pleas on other defendants. Um, what I've reviewed of some of the filings um, of the January 6th defendants is that the DOJ was arguing that there's a separation of powers issue where they were not able to obtain everything from Congress. And so they said, hey, it's not our responsibility to provide this to the defense. So that has been litigated, whether or not that issue is raised yet again now that everything is out uh, in the public. And there's some video that tends to suggest that there was one narrative that isn't entirely accurate. Um, I think that remains to be seen. Outlining some of the legal basis for turning over all of this footage. Now, Senate Majority Leader Schumer has criticized Speaker McCarthy and Tucker Carlson over the footage. And Congressman Jamie Raskin, who was on the J6 committee, suggested the release of the footage raises security concerns and that one could use it to map the Capitol and the path lawmakers used to evacuate. What's your reaction to this? Well, you know, I think that transparency is always a good thing, and this seems to be more of a pretext for the Democrats to shield the truth from the public under the pretext of national security or other issues, rather than say that this is so important, not only to public interest, but also to the defendants and the J6 detainees, that of course, due process concerns override uh, any interest that they might have for shielding this. To me, it just seems that the Democrats want to push out their curated narrative rather than get everyone the full truth. And now, listen, of course, you know, no one is suggesting that crimes weren't committed or that things that are unlawful happened on January 6th. But what everyone's concern should be is that due process protections are in place. Everyone who is a defendant gets access to potentially exculpatory information and that the public at large has the truth so that we don't just have a democratic narrative. And that, to me, is what Schumer and Raskin and other Democrats are so afraid of. Really great to have your in-depth legal analysis. Constitutional Attorney Jenna Ellis, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has released tens of thousands of hours of January 6th footage to Fox News. Yesterday, he defended his decision. Meanwhile, Tucker Carlson reacts to criticism from Senate leaders. And today's Daniel Monahan has the report. Each person. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy spoke with reporters. No, um, I, I said at the very beginning, transparency. And so what I wanted to produce for everybody is exactly what I said. That people could actually look at it. The release of the January 6th footage to Fox News and Tucker Carlson's subsequent report on the events have caused a stir on both sides of the aisle. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. I, so many others who were here in the Capitol, and millions and millions of Americans are just furious with Tucker Carlson and Kevin McCarthy. Schumer called on Fox News and Rupert Murdoch to tell Carlson not to air a second segment which was broadcast on March 7th. I don't think I've ever seen an anchor treat the American people and American democracy with such disdain. 
Was it a mistake by... Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell says he totally agrees with criticisms made by U.S. Capitol Police Chief Tom Manger. It was a mistake, in my view, for Fox News to depict this in a way that's completely at variance with what our chief law enforcement official here at the Capitol thinks. The memo Manger wrote described Carlson's commentary as being filled with offensive and misleading conclusions about the January 6th attack. Tucker Carlson reacted to the Senate leaders on Fox News. You don't often see the Senate majority leader openly call for censorship on the floor of the Senate as if that was totally normal. Carlson says what's really happening is hysteria, with fear and panic at the root of it. He says the videos were untouched and vetted with the Capitol Police to ensure no one was endangered by their airing. Carlson says they touch a nerve because they are a threat to what he called the lies that have been told for over two years. The Senate Majority Leader joins the Senate Minority Leader. Tom Tillis, Mitt Romney. <laughs> They're all on the same side. So it's actually not about left and right. It's not about Republican and Democrat. Here you have people with shared interests. Carlson says those are the people who, quote, have everything in common underneath it all and are all aligned against everyone else, saying that includes almost all news organizations as well. The footage released on Monday appears to show that scenes at the Capitol building were more peaceful than previously publicized. Schumer later tweeted that he had been invited onto Carlson's show. He says he will agree to go on after Tucker Carlson admits to his viewers live on air that he, quote, has been lying to them about the 2020 elections and about what happened on January 6th. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The federal government is telling airports and aircraft operators they need to be more proactive about cybersecurity. The Transportation Security Administration issued new requirements for them to prove they are actively working to deter hackers. This comes after a researcher discovered an old version of the TSA no-fly list of terrorists on a regional airline's unsecured server. But it's also part of a broader effort by the Biden administration to improve cybersecurity. Just last week, the Environmental Protection Agency said it would require state governments to audit the security of public water systems. A House panel accused the Federal Trade Commission, or FTC, of orchestrating an aggressive campaign to harass Twitter yesterday. The panel says it's part of the agency's unusual response to Elon Musk's acquisition of the social media network. Entity's Daniel Monahan reports. The Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government recently released a report. It highlights the FTC's alleged overreach in making more than 350 specific demands for information within three months of Musk taking the helm. The report says the FTC flooded Twitter with demands to reveal information about hiring and firing decisions and every internal communication relating to Elon Musk. The FTC also wanted the names of journalists who were granted access to internal Twitter files during their work to, quote, expose abuses by big tech in the federal government and allegedly demanded to know all of the reasons why former FBI official Jim Baker was fired. The report says the demands have no basis in the FTC's statutory mission and appear to be the result of partisan pressure to target Twitter and silence Musk. Senator Ron Johnson spoke at a committee hearing last month. Our founders fully understood that government was necessary to avoid anarchy, but they also knew that government power was something to fear. The chair of the FTC is Lena Kahn. Senator Mike Lee questioned her last year. Can the FTC utilize rulemaking power to get around precedent with which it disagrees? 
Khan responded. I'm not sure. I mean, you know, Section 5 has, a, there's a standalone basis to Section 5. The report emphasizes that the FTC's, quote, campaign to harass Twitter could have a chilling effect. It could weaken the ability of journalists to report on matters of public interest and calls for greater protection of First Amendment rights. Former Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard spoke at a committee hearing in February. We cannot be so short-sighted as to thinking silencing speech that we don't like today will not result in our own voices being silenced tomorrow. Musk responded on Twitter regarding reports about the FTC's request for the names of journalists. He wrote, quote, This is a serious attack on the Constitution by a federal agency. An FTC spokesperson defended its investigation in a statement to the Epic Times, saying that the FTC is conducting a rigorous investigation into Twitter's compliance with a consent order, and that the order came into effect long before Musk purchased the company. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. A study on the potential dangers of fluoride is expected to be released soon as part of a lawsuit against a government agency. According to plaintiffs, the Department of Health and Human Services previously blocked the study's release. The Fluoride Action Network, or FAN, filed a lawsuit against the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, back in 2017. FAN is trying to ban the use of fluoride in public water supplies in the U.S. The National Toxicology Program, or NPT, conducted a study on fluoride's toxicity. However, the NPT hasn't publicized the study yet. Internal emails seem to indicate that the study wasn't published because the federal government interfered in its publication. The attorney for the plaintiffs received internal CDC emails through a Freedom of Information Act request. The emails were quoted in this court filing, stating A.S.H. Levine has put the report on hold until further notice. A.S.H. Levine is a reference to the United States Assistant Secretary of Health, Rachel Levine. The attorney claims that the emails confirm that the CDC was opposed to the NPT releasing the report and that leadership at the top levels of the Department of Health and Human Services intervened to stop the report from being released. NTD reached out to the HHS for comment, but didn't immediately hear back. During fall of last year, a U.S. District Court judge lifted a stay on a protective order. That order shielded the NPT's recent study on the toxicity of fluoride from release. Most recently, in a February meeting, the National Institute for Environmental Health Sciences agreed to publicize the NPT's report. The Institute is expected to post the report on NPT's website before March 15th. The posted documents could play a major role in the second trial phase of the ongoing legal battle. A previous review on fluoride conducted by the NPT found that fluoride is presumed to be a cognitive neurodevelopmental hazard to humans. However, the report said that conclusions were based on a higher amount of fluoride that is found in U.S. drinking water. Advocates of fluoride use argue it could prevent tooth decay. The next court hearing in the case is scheduled for April 11th. Next, we have an update on the four Americans kidnapped at gunpoint in Mexico. Two are reported to have died in captivity. The two survivors were rescued and transported back to U.S. soil yesterday. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on their condition and the response from officials. The governor of Tamaulipas, Mexico, says the four Americans were found in a wooden shack in a village about six miles from Matamoros near the Gulf Coast. A 24-year-old man guarding them was arrested at the scene. The bodies of the two killed, Zindel Brown and Shaid Woodward, will be turned over to U.S. authorities following forensic work at the Matamoros morgue. 
U.S. State Department spokesman Ned Price extended condolences to their families and loved ones on Tuesday. We want to see accountability uh, for the violence that has been inflicted on these Americans that tragically uh, led to the death of two of them. Price says the FBI and Mexican authorities are working to ensure that justice is done. The two survivors were sped to the border near Brownsville, Texas, in a convoy of ambulances and SUVs, escorted by Mexican military Humvees and National Guard trucks with mounted machine guns. They were taken to the Valley Regional Medical Center in Brownsville with an FBI escort. One of the survivors, Eric Williams, was shot in the legs three times. That's according to his wife, who says he underwent surgery and is expected to recover and walk again. The other survivor, Latavia McGee, was not injured. She traveled to Mexico for cosmetic surgery. Mexican officials believe the kidnapping may have been a case of mistaken identity. Democratic Representative Vicente Gonzalez says the drug cartels are a national security concern. He's calling on U.S. and Mexican lawmakers to come up with critical ideas to dismantle and stop cartels across the border. We need to work with law enforcement and the military in, uh, covertly in Mexico uh, through intelligence and people on the ground and, and make surgical operations to take them out, take them out fi financially and physically, bring them to justice when we can. But um, a clear message needs to be sent. Gonzalez pointed out the record high number of people dying of fentanyl in the U.S. due to drug smuggling across the border. Mexico's president has sworn that those responsible will be punished. Our neighbor's home is on fire and he, they need help putting it out and he needs to make profound changes uh, in his criminal justice system to dismantle uh, cartels and stop this from being a norm. Gonzalez says Mexico has lost more lives from cartel violence in the last 20 years than the U.S. has lost in every war from Korea to Vietnam to the wars in the Middle East. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. New York City is opening a migrant asylum center that will be open 24-7. A special office will be dedicated to the issue. Mayor Eric Adams announced the program yesterday. The Arrival Center will work to find people long-term housing, jobs, and help relocate them to other cities. He did not say where it would be located or when it would open. Adams says the city can't do it alone. He clarified what he thinks is needed from the state and federal government. This crisis is not a New York crisis. It's a United States crisis. And it's time for our national government to play the role. People are saying they have a shortage of workers. So we're going to identify the areas that are in higher demand with our partnerships in business, and we're going to connect people with those jobs that are available and start giving them the training now. The move comes ahead of a potential increase in arrivals after Title 42 ends. The city says more than 50,000 people have arrived since last April and that 30,000 are currently receiving care. The city has spent over $650 million on the crisis over the last year. And coming up, the Washington, D.C. police chief has a simple solution to the local crime problem. We have that and more just after this break. Washington, D.C.'s police chief says to keep homicides down, the district needs to keep bad guys with guns in jail. He spoke alongside Washington's mayor about public safety. Metropolitan Police Chief Robert Conti also said the average homicide suspect has been arrested 11 times prior to them committing a homicide. 
Conte said if bad guys are in jail, they won't be in Washington communities shooting people. Last month, Democratic Congresswoman Angie Craig decried the district's crime laws after she was assaulted by a homeless man. She said she was his 13th victim and he was committing crime for almost a decade. She said in many cases, he received no punishment for his crimes. D.C. City Council was forced to pull a bill that would have made the district even softer on crime. It would have reduced penalties for violent crime and done away with minimum sentences for most other types of crime. Sex trafficking could be reclassified as a violent felony in California under proposed legislation. California Assemblyman Joe Patterson said in a statement that everything wrong about California criminal law is laid out in our statutes pertaining to human trafficking. A hearing is set for next week in the Assembly's Committee on Public Safety. The bill aims to make it a violent felony to commit sex trafficking and qualify it as a strike offense under California's three strikes law. That imposes a state prison term of 25 years to life for those who are convicted of a violent or serious felony after already having two prior convictions for these offenses. Patterson, a Republican, said that tens of thousands of children and adults have been sex trafficked in the Sacramento region since 2015. California's attorney general called human trafficking a form of modern-day slavery. That's because it involves coercing a person to provide labor or engage in sex acts for money. Voters in Oklahoma rejected the legalization of recreational marijuana yesterday. This follows a late blitz of opposition from faith leaders, law enforcement, and prosecutors. Having one ounce of marijuana and the growth of up to six mature plants would have been legal if the measure had passed. A 15% sales tax on the drug would have applied. Last year, other conservative states also rejected the idea. Those include Arkansas, North Dakota, and South Dakota, while some like Montana and Missouri have approved similar proposals in recent years. Oklahoma voters approved medical marijuana in 2018. The state has over 2,800 licensed dispensaries. Iowa's House of Representatives is pushing a bill to halt what they call woke agendas in the state's colleges. It seeks to ban spending that goes towards diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. State Representative Taylor Collins called diversity and inclusion a guise for political ideology. The bill would ban Iowa's public university from funding diversity, equity, and inclusion offices and ban funding for employees working on similar efforts. But it would not ban courses, research, student organizations, or guest speakers. The money would instead go to reduce in-state tuition and to scholarships for lower- and middle-income students. The University of Iowa president supports diversity funding and said during a House subcommittee hearing that diversity initiatives are not just about race, not just about gender, but about things like learning disabilities. A historic North Carolina paper mill is closing down. 1,100 jobs are up in the air as the news shocked workers and residents of the local community. Pactive Evergreen is set to close its doors in the town of Canton in the coming months. It's been operating over 100 years. The Canton mayor told ABC 15 that he saw grown men with tears in their eyes upon learning news of the closure. The mayor says the closure is like taking a piece of the town's soul. The local union president said when the company informed him of the closure, it didn't say the plant would be torn down. It leaves the possibility that another plant could open there in the future. The National Transportation Safety Board plans to investigate Norfolk Southern. The railway has come under fire for two train derailments in Ohio that happened just weeks apart and a handful of other incidents. The NTSB says it will examine the company's safety culture. 
The railroad has had five serious accidents in December 2021 that resulted in three deaths. While the government's investigation will take some time, it also asked Norfolk Southern to immediately review and assess its safety practices. The agency urged the company to get input from its employees and make any changes necessary. A ring camera captured the moment a small plane crashed in Long Island, New York on Sunday. Video shows the moment just before the plane crashes in a wooded area on Sunday afternoon, killing one and critically injuring two others. Smoke can be seen in the distance. A mother and daughter were on board with the pilot from Danny Wiseman Flight School. The 63-year-old mother didn't survive. A National Transportation Safety Board said the pilot reported smoke in the cockpit as the aircraft approached Republic Airport. An attorney for the flight school said the trip was part of a Groupon deal for an introductory flight and added that the pilot and all his ratings and certifications and the plane had passed two stringent inspections last week. It was like a scene out of a thriller movie. A YouTuber just finished recording his podcast, and while he was sitting against the window at a cafe on Saturday, this happened. It got so quiet in here. How did I... Just as he uttered those words, an SUV plowed into the glass behind Nathan Reeves, his friend, and a podcast guest. The horrifying moment caught on camera was at the Tout Sweet Cafe in Houston. The cafe was filled with more than a dozen people at that moment. Luckily, no one was injured. Local police said a woman drove her Chevrolet through a red light and struck another car before crashing into the cafe. The video was uploaded to Reeves' YouTube channel, November Romeo, and has amassed tens of thousands of views. After signs of slowing down, the eruption at the summit of Kilauea Volcano in Hawaii has officially paused after 61 days of activity. The U.S. Geological Survey posted an update Tuesday. It says lava is no longer flowing on the crater floor, where all recent activity has been confined. Kilauea started erupting on January 5th after a nearly month-long pause in volcanic activity. Just ahead, in U.S.-China relations, illicit fentanyl made from Chinese raw materials may be the most deadly issue, killing thousands of Americans every year. How does it reach the U.S. and why? House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says he will meet with Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen this year, while Beijing isn't happy about it. We'll have the details soon when we return. Good to have you back with us. What's the deadliest issue in U.S.-China relations right now? Not the Chinese spy balloon's intrusion into U.S. airspace, nor the potential military conflict over Taiwan, but the illicit fentanyl made from Chinese raw materials that kills thousands of Americans every year. How does it reach the U.S. and why? Entity's Xiaohua Li has more. Fentanyl, one of the world's most dangerous drugs. Over 50 times stronger than heroin, is highly addictive and deadly. A dose the size of the tip of a pencil is enough to be lethal. The drug is a synthetic opioid approved for treating severe pain, but is often made and sold illegally. From April 2020 to April 2021, within just one year, fentanyl was responsible for more than 64,000 overdose deaths in the U.S., or over 175 deaths per day. 
It's killed almost twice as many young Americans as COVID-19. But what is China's role in America's opioid crisis? And the source of the fentanyl flooding into the United States? Well, it's China. According to investigative journalist group IG Reportica, most cases of fentanyl-related harm and death are linked to illegally made fentanyl. China plays a big role here as the hub of the illegal fentanyl supply chain. According to a 2020 NPR report, Chinese great market companies specialize in chemicals that are legal in China but illegal in the U.S. They have leveraged the Internet to sell and ship the drugs directly to U.S. customers. During 2016 and 2017, a found 97% of inbound shipments of high-purity fentanyl into the U.S. were from China via e-commerce. China is also the leader in sending fentanyl precursors to Mexico where cartels then finish making the final product and send it across the U.S. border. The Drug Enforcement Administration chief has called on China to do more to stop it, like helping track shipments of chemicals from China to Mexico. She said that once the drugs make it to the U.S.-Mexico border, it's too late. Chinese are selling these precursor uh, chemicals into Mexico. The Chinese are intentionally poisoning, Amer poisoning America. Senator Ernst accused China of not stopping the supply chain networks that produce fentanyl. That covers both raw fentanyl and equipment for assembling line production of fentanyl. That supply chain allows local drug dealers in North America to mass produce fentanyl in pill form. It then gets mixed into other drugs or prescription painkillers with or without the user's knowledge. Fake fentanyl-laced painkillers have caused a wave of overdose incidents in America. Beijing has rejected claims that it supplies raw fentanyl to Mexico. Earlier last month, Beijing issued a report blaming the U.S. overdose epidemic on America's drug culture and rejected accusations from U.S. officials that China is supplying the fentanyl trade. The Drug Enforcement Administration has shut down several websites publicly selling fentanyl, sourced from labs in China. The U.S. is also hunting for Chinese citizens involved in online fentanyl dealing. What's more, the fentanyl crisis had former U.S. President Donald Trump fuming during his term. He called out China publicly on this matter in a 2018 Twitter post saying it is outrageous that poisonous synthetic heroin fentanyl comes pouring into the U.S. postal system from China, adding that the U.S. can and must end the danger now with no more delay. Beijing responded to U.S. pressure in 2019 by making all forms of fentanyl subject to production controls. It also added two fentanyl precursor chemicals to a regulatory list. But following then-U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's travel to Taiwan last year, Beijing suspended collaboration with Washington on transnational crime and illegal drug issues. To this day, China remains the principal source of fentanyl around the globe. In 2021, President Joe Biden declared fentanyl trafficking as a U.S. national emergency, though the declaration didn't mention China. Xiao Hua Li, NTD News. Infants in the U.S. are also dying from opioid overdoses. According to a study published today in the Pediatrics Journal, just over 730 children under the age of 5 died of a drug-related death from 2005 through 2018. 
Researchers say some of these deaths came from the use of over-the-counter medications. The majority were from opioids. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy confirmed a plan to meet with Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen this year. The speaker added he won't rule out a trip to the island at a later date. I saw a report where um, it uh, said I would meet with the President of Taiwan. I will in America. But that has nothing to do with um, my travel if I would go to Taiwan or not. China can't tell me where I to go. And none of that discussion ever happened. The president happens to be in America. The House said last month that McCarthy would visit Taiwan later this year or next year. But the Financial Times later reported that the trip had turned into a meeting with Tsai in California. McCarthy confirmed the news last night, but he also stressed that the decision wasn't made to please Beijing. Angered by the planned meeting, China has filed a diplomatic complaint with the U.S. Beijing claims self-ruled Taiwan as its own territory despite having never ruled the island. Taiwan is governed by its own democratic constitution. Indonesian police burned a 27-acre marijuana plantation in North Sumatra province today. That's the area of about 20 football fields. Local police say the field, along with another one in the area, could produce 190,000 cannabis stems. Indonesia has some of the strictest drug laws in the world. In 2017, its president declared that law enforcement officials can shoot drug dealers to deal with the, quote, drugs emergency. Last year, the country's constitutional court dismissed a judicial review of the country's narcotics law. The review would have paved the way for legalizing marijuana for medical use. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Still to come, a report alleges that a pro-Ukrainian group may be responsible for the Nord Stream explosions. The White House says it's awaiting investigations from European allies. We'll return with that and more after this break. A pro-Ukraine group may have attacked the Nord Stream pipelines last September. The New York Times reported the news, citing new intel from U.S. officials. Germany, Sweden, and Denmark are still probing the cause of the blasts. Washington is awaiting the findings of the European partners. We have full faith and confidence in the investigation that they're running. Uh, Of course, we're going to wait for those investigations to conclude. Uh, We'll see what they say. But uh, again, we have full faith and confidence uh, in our European partners who are behind this. The fresh intel suggests a pro-Ukrainian group of either Russians or Ukrainians might have sabotaged the Nord Stream pipelines. According to the report, U.S. officials declined to reveal other details, adding that no firm conclusions can be drawn yet. The blasts occurred last September in the exclusive economic zones of Sweden and Denmark. Both countries believe the damage was intentional, but haven't identified who might be responsible. Meanwhile, here's NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg responding to the new report. What we do know uh, uh, is that uh, there was an attack against the North Stream pipelines, uh, an act of uh, sabotage. Uh, But we have not been able to uh, determine who was behind. Uh, There are ongoing national investigations, and I think it's uh, right to uh, wait until those are finalized before we say anything more about who uh, was uh, behind. Russia built the Nord Stream gas pipelines that connect to Germany, but Moscow used them as a bargaining chip against Western sanctions after initiating war against Ukraine. 
A top European Union court has annulled one of the sanctions against Russia, clearing the mother of the head of the Wagner mercenary group fighting in Ukraine. The annulment was rare, and EU sanctions against Russia, which cover nearly 1,700 individuals and entities. The EU blacklisted Violeta Prigozhina a day before Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine last year, meaning she couldn't travel to the bloc and her assets in the Union were frozen. The EU said business links with her son made her complicit in Russia's aggression against its neighbor. Now the court says the EU failed to provide her role in her son's actions and her blacklisting was based solely on their family relationship. The EU has roughly two months to appeal. A Belarus court has sentenced exiled opposition leader Svetlana Tikhanovskaya to 15 years in jail. She was convicted in absentia for treason and conspiracy to seize power. The charges also include creating and leading an extremist group, inciting hatred, and harming national security. The opposition leader called the verdict an act of vengeance by Belarusian authorities and said the state has turned into one big KGB. She ran against authoritarian President Alexander Lukashenko in 2020 in an election that was widely seen as rigged. The results of the vote triggered the latest protests in the country's history. Svekatusaya left Ukraine under pressure. Rights activists estimate about 1,500 people are in jail in Belarus on politically motivated charges. Greece's new transport minister said today the government would fix a chronically ill train transport system. This as tens of thousands of people protested over a train crash that killed dozens. We didn't have time to finish something that we were obligated to finish. It's not easy to rearrange a system with very heavy, chronic, decades-old illnesses in such a short amount of time. And it's good to review this. We managed to do some things, we did not manage to do others, unfortunately, and under these conditions it could be fatal. Greece may resume rail passenger transport by the end of March once absolute safety is secured. The train network was suspended as a result of the deadly crash. It killed 57 people and stirred public outrage over the crumbling state of the rail network. Many of the 350 people aboard were university students. Italy has busted a female mafia leader 13 years after she went on the run. Police have extradited her from the Nigerian capital back to Rome. 48-year-old Joy Jeff was one of the few women on Italy's most wanted list. Police describe her as a key figure in the Nigerian mafia. A treaty signed by Nigeria and Italy in 2020 facilitated her extradition. Officials say Jeff played a leading role in trafficking women to Italy, Spain, and the Netherlands. She has been sentenced to 13 years in prison. Australia's Prime Minister Anthony Albanese said today he plans to visit the United States. He's meeting with President Biden after a trip to India this week. I do want to say that after this visit, I will be visiting the United States uh, for a bilateral meeting with President Biden. I look forward to the continuing engagement that I have with the U.S. administration. Albanese reportedly could sign a long-awaited agreement to build a fleet of nuclear-powered submarines. An Australian newspaper says the signing ceremony is expected to be held on Monday in San Diego, with Biden and British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak in attendance. The three countries signed a trilateral security pact known as AUKUS in 2021 to the anger of France, which had a deal for conventionally-powered submarines with Australia. 
Coming up, a British company is recycling trucks. They extend their working lives of old garbage and recycling trucks by years by converting them to electric. And the Dubai Boat Show is underway. This year's event features electric yachts, but super yachts still remain the stars of the show. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Welcome back. Apple is introducing a new iPhone 14 and 14 Plus color just in time for spring. Yellow joins the lineup of black, white, red, blue, and purple. Apple is also releasing spring-themed watch band and silicone iPhone cases. The company has been in the habit of releasing new colors for spring. Last year, it was alpine green for the iPhone 13 and 13 Pro. The year before that, it was purple for the iPhone 12 and 12 mini. You can pre-order the yellow iPhones starting Friday. General availability begins March 14th. Over two dozen electric buses have rolled onto the streets of Chicago. They are part of the city's effort to electrify all buses by 2040. The Chicago Transit Authority says the shift is about providing cleaner service. But meanwhile, it marks a long-term investment. Each electric bus costs more than a million dollars, which is double the price of the diesel model, but they are much cheaper to operate. It costs $2 to operate an electric bus per mile. That compares to $3 for a diesel bus. Authorities also had to build fast charging stations at both ends of the route. That's to prevent battery depletion. Officials say the buses have never run out of charge while on a daily route. I was actually looking at a bus yesterday that was out early morning. It left the garage at 99%, and by 11.30, the pullout time was about 4 o'clock in the morning. By 11.30 in the morning, that bus was still at 54%. During winter, most energy drained from the batteries is used to heat the bus. When fully charged, they start with a range of about 100 miles, but officials say the batteries need recharging once they fall below 50% or after around six one-way trips. Usually the bus schedule has 10 to 15 minutes built in for charging. Buying a Tesla just got a little bit cheaper, at least for a few of its models. The electric car maker has trimmed prices for two of its most expensive vehicles. The Model S and Model X are down between 4 and 9%, according to Tesla's website. This follows another steep price cut from the company in January that took up to 20% off the starting price of the vehicles. CEO Elon Musk says that even small changes in price have had a big effect on demand. A British company is on a mission to give old garbage and recycling trucks new life. The firm converts old trucks into electric vehicles, extending their working lives by years. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more on the process. Lunaz not only replaces the truck's engines with electric motors, the company rebuilds them from scratch. The process is called upcycling. Here at Lunaz, we take product that already exists and we upcycle it and electrify it for a clean air future. Take a look at this. This is one of our refuse trucks. This electric recycling truck has been upcycled to clean air powertrain. The diesel-powered trucks can reach the end of their normal working lives after 100,000 or 150,000 miles. But the skeleton of the truck can last for much longer. So Luna's Applied Technologies takes vehicles that already exist in the commercial vehicle space and re-engineers them and upcycles them to clean air powertrain. As you can see behind us, we've got 
various vehicle classes uh, on different platforms where we've taken product that exists. We're looking at product life extension. If operating at full capacity, Lunaz can convert 1,100 vehicles annually. This upcycling process is so important. It's normality in so many industries. You look at this in aviation, you look at this in rail. These are common practices. In automotive, we've been so used to this replace with new cycle, but you've got to look at upcycling product that already exists. Lunaz is looking at fleet operators in both the private and public sectors. The Buckinghamshire Council is just one group interested in the upcycled vehicles. We have a very large fleet of vehicles, uh, both waste vehicles but also home school transport and other vehicles. Uh, we want to move away from traditional dirty fuels towards much cleaner electric power um, and therefore we're looking at how we can mitigate some of that impact that we have on the environment as quickly as possible. Lunaz says other development projects are currently underway. They include new chassis and vehicle models to meet future fleet and operator needs. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Built-in solar panels and batteries hitting the yacht market, but diesel-powered yachts far outnumber their electric counterparts at the Dubai Boat Show. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on the luxury vessels. This is the Soaring. The 223-foot-long yacht is docked in the marina for the Dubai International Boat Show. In our market, meaning the large yachts, um, the Middle East and the Gulf regions uh, have always been very important and uh, what we see today in terms of activity seems to confirm uh, that people out here are interested in large yachts and are willing and of course able to buy large yachts. The soaring is so large that it couldn't dock with the rest of the boats at the Dubai harbor. The vessel is on sale for $93 million. It's the largest and most expensive yacht here. She's built and delivered in 2020, uh, so she's very young, she's in excellent condition, and she has, in nautical terms, a volume of 1,500 GT, gross tons, so she's a big boat. And uh, as far as I know, indeed, she's the biggest boat in the show. 175 boats are on display. 35 are super yachts. So, good market, strong market. Like always, uh, people are looking for good opportunities. Uh, that's also traditionally uh, one of the elements of the, the Gulf market. This year's show also features vessels outfitted with alternative power sources. The Sun Reef Eco has built-in solar panels, mainly on the hull and the mast. This boat is coming from Monaco to Dubai by himself, uh, by sail. And from Jeddah we sail uh, to Djibouti, to Dubai. And we not use uh, one liter of fuel. The boat generates 50 to 70 kilowatts of power per day, which charges the battery directly. But it also has two diesel generators. The number of electric vessels is certainly on the rise, but super yachts and diesel-fueled vessels still rule the sea. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Spices from over 500 years ago preserved intact in a shipwreck under the Baltic Sea. Archaeologists are calling this a rather unusual find. The spices range from saffron to pepper and ginger. They were with a royal ship that sank off the coast of Sweden in the late 15th century. Its owner, King Hans of Denmark and Norway, was attending a conference on the coast of Sweden. Archaeologists wonder how the spices were preserved over the centuries. Some speculate they may have been kept in a decomposed container which formed an environment that resembled a time capsule. 
The Baltic is strange. Uh, it's low oxygen, low temperature, low salinity. So many organic things are well preserved in the Baltic where they wouldn't be preserved elsewhere in the world ocean system. Coupled with that, when things get buried in the sediments, they're particularly well preserved. So sometimes we do find foodstuffs. Earlier on Gribshunden, we found the remains of a sturgeon fish, about a two meter long fish. Again, a very prestigious item, in, item reserved for the king. But to find spices like this is quite extraordinary. Spices were symbols of high status in ancient times. Only the rich could afford items like saffron or cloves imported from outside Europe. Archaeologists hope to find other areas for similar finds, searching for environments that offer the best conditions to conserve wrecks. Archaeologists have uncovered an ancient statue and shrine in Egypt. It looks like a miniature of the famous Sphinx in the Giza pyramid complex. They found the statue carved in limestone during an excavation on the eastern bank of the Nile River. Scientists believe it could represent the Roman Emperor Claudius, who ruled from the year 41 to 54. Excavations at the site are still ongoing. And just ahead, preparations for the Oscars are underway. Chef Wolfgang Puck is in charge of the menu for the exclusive Governor's Ball post-show celebration. Details to come on NTD News Today. With the Oscars just a few days away, movie buffs are speculating about the awards. But the menu for the exclusive Governor's Ball post-show celebration is also generating a lot of buzz. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details. Chef Wolfgang Puck was in charge of the menu. We are lucky. We are cooking for the biggest event. There are not many bigger events than the Oscars. And uh, all the stars are here. You know, people give out all the Oscars. And then... They're all super hungry and come to eat up uh, to our ballroom. He showed off a range of delicacies, including vegetarian options. Some English dishes today, like a crispy fish and chips with a little uh, vinegary sauce with it. And then he's making an English trifle for dessert with our delicious Harris berries. And also a beef wellington with a mushroom dick salad and a Madeira truffle sauce. And now we have the Miyazaki beef, which is the best Japanese beef. There are even edible chocolate cigars to cap off the celebration. So you can put that in uh, liquid nitrogen. And instead of having it hot, it gets really cold. And then you can smoke your cigar, see? Catherine Cudier of Vineyard Brands is in charge of the wine. She compared selecting the right vino to filmmaking. Like, you know, crafting and art, it's, it's, it's time, it's years. It's finding uh, being juste, as we will say in French, um, and delicacy and being very detail-oriented. Uh, but at the end, for me, a movie, it's happiness, it's celebration, it's excitement, um, which is kind of the same when you open a bottle of champagne. Leading the drink menu will be the Showtime Margarita. We really want to make sure that no matter who walks up to the bar, we have a little something for everyone. So you're going to find some bright, refreshing cocktails, some familiar uh, bases like a margarita or a paloma, but of course we're going to put a signature twist on all of those. The Oscars are set for this Sunday, March 12th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Do you need more energy in day-to-day -day life? Forget about coffee, energy drinks, and snacks. Let's look at some natural energy boosters. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body.
If you need an overall boost in energy levels, the natural method is best. It involves getting more sleep, identifying and coping with stresses, being more active and knowing how to make the proper food choices. Doing these things can lead to more energy at any age. So let's dig a little deeper, starting with sleep. If you're not sleeping well, it's impossible for your brain and body to fully recharge. Getting a good night's sleep sets up your day. It also gives you the energy you need to live your best life. It's easy to practice good sleep hygiene. Start by avoiding stimulation too close to bed. This includes looking at bright screens, both TV and cell phones, eating, arguing, and being active. Also, make sure your bedroom is dark and comfortable. Next is stress management. If you are regularly under stress, it can suck away your energy. Of course, a tiny bit is fine as it can offer adrenaline, but too much has the opposite effect. Deal with stresses head on. Use meditation, mindfulness or prayer. Exercising can also help to deal with stress and increase energy levels. But nothing is more soothing to the soul than a gentle walk in nature. And finally, don't forget to eat right. Some food can promote energy, while other food can draw it right out of you. For example, refined carbohydrates might be described as high energy. They may provide you a quick pick-me-up, but what about 30 minutes later when you come down? Chocolate bars, muffins, and other sugary snacks are no good for energy levels. On the other hand, whole grains or complex carbs can release energy slowly. Your blood sugar will stay stable and you'll be able to go for longer without the crash. A worm moon wiggled into the sky in Rome, Italy last night. The name refers to the last full moon of the astronomical winter in March. The full moon peaked in the early hours of Tuesday morning Eastern time, but why is it called a worm moon? Earthworms usually come out in spring when the soil warms up. This attracts robins and other birds to feed on them. The bird's singing marks the arrival of spring. Another explanation is that the worm in worm moon refers to beetle larvae. They usually emerge from the thawing bark of trees at the beginning of March. We're seeing a record early start to allergy season. Pollen is in the air across the southern and eastern U.S. earlier this year than ever before. In Atlanta, the pollen count climbed to the extremely high range on Monday, the earliest it has done so in 30 years of record keeping. By Tuesday, the tree pollen count had doubled. In Washington, D.C., the first high tree pollen count appeared a month ago, hitting a record high for this time of year. It comes after an exceptionally warm February in the south and east, prompting flowers to bloom early. And that's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. 